All right, now you can calm down. Calm down. Settle down. Jesus said these words in John chapter 14. Do not let your heart be troubled. Please hear that. See, we're going to talk about end time stuff. And it'd be easy to let it freak you out. And that's not my goal here today. My goal here today is that you and I find a sense of urgency. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If that were not so, what I've told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. So today... Um, we're going to talk about a unique period of time. If you're here last week, this timeline will, will look familiar. And, and listen, I don't want you to let that timeline intimidate you. Um, I, what I really want you to see is on the far left where it says present church age. That's where we're at right now. You see that? And then there's a vertical line. It represents the rapture of the church which I told you last week is when Christ meets us in the air and calls his church home to be with him forever. And I believe with all of my heart that the next thing that will happen on the prophetic timeline is we will hear a trumpet sound and meet Jesus in the air. I believe that with everything in me. Now, there are, there are people who will say otherwise, but you're here today. And I'm telling you that that's what I believe with everything in me. So here's what that means. That means if you know the Lord, then I have great news for you. And if you don't, I could not have worse news for you. So today we're going to talk about this, this time in between these, other, these two vertical lines between the rapture of the church and the return of Christ. Because you, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but those are two separate events. And we talked about that last week. Not going to get into that this week. We don't have time. If, if you weren't here, it'll be online. So you can go listen to it. But there's this seven-year period that will take place between the rapture of the church and the return of Christ that you and I need to be aware of. Because there's, there's some things happening culturally during that that are there's some nasty stuff going on during those seven years there's some like end time walking dead stuff happening nasty crazy horrible terrifying things that are happening there and we don't have time to break it all down but and here's what i'm going to tell you you don't want to be there So what I want you to see today is what will the world look like just before that happens? What will the world look like when that tribulation period is a reality and not just text on a timeline? What will the world look like? I can't tell you when the trumpet will sound. I can tell you. Or rather, the Bible will tell us, Jesus told us what the world would look like. What our culture would look like as we get close to the end. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 24. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? They want to know just like you want to know. When will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? And Jesus answered their questions like this. Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. How many know that's happening? You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. How many know that's happening? But see to it that you are not alarmed. You are. 
He said, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be alarmed. Jesus said two different times, I don't want you freaking out over this. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. In other words, this is what the season, this is what the world's going to look like in that season. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these, please listen to this, are the beginning of birth pains. Jesus compared the end of the world with a woman giving birth. And I told you that last week, but I want you to listen. The greatest indicator of when that time's going to be is when those pains start and they get more violent and they get closer together. Can I tell you a quick story? When my son Matthew was born, <laughs> so we're, Donna wakes me up gently and says, I think we need to go to the hospital. And I said, okay. So I get up. I take a shower. She said, listen, we got time. So I get up. I take a shower, taking my time. When I get out of the shower, she said, we got to go now. Because those birth pains were getting closer and closer together. And we lived almost where we live now, and we're going to Gwinnett Medical. At about 6.45, 7.30 in that time range in the morning. And guess what big yellow things were in front of us all the way? School buses. And it was raining. And so Donna is squeezing my hand, and her sweet little voice is saying, Jesus, please don't let me have this baby in this car. Jesus, please don't let me have this baby in the car. And I'm going, baby, it's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. And under my voice, I'm going, Jesus, please don't let her have this baby in this car. <laughs> and the closer we got to the hospital, the closer those pains came. And so what I want you to see is we don't know. We don't know. We don't know when the baby's coming. We didn't know when Matthew was going to show up. But I'm going to tell you something. We're on our way to the hospital. And there's an urgency now. See, when I got in the shower, there was no urgency. When I got out of the shower, we got to go now. Listen, if you're going to do something for Jesus in your life, you've got to do it now. You don't have time to wait. We don't have time to play games. We don't have time to... to hesitate. We don't have time for apathy. So let me be clear. Over the next few moments, I'm going to talk about some systems that we're starting to see implemented in our world that could point to end-time future events. I am not making a blanket declaration that any of these systems, any of these perspectives are connected to the Antichrist, the mark of the beast. I don't know. I'm not that smart. I'm just telling you what the world's going to look like. So my point in all this is there are systems in place or being put into place right now, today, that make the events of the tribulation period, this period, possible that weren't possible just a few years ago. The prophet Daniel predicted 490 years of future end-time prophecy. You want to know how many have been fulfilled to the letter? 483. There's seven years left. <laughs> David Jeremiah said something that I just thought was beautiful. He said, future events cast their shadows before them. So we see the shadows of what's coming before it gets here. And I'm telling you, the shadows are there. So I'm going to talk to you about some systems and some attitudes and some perspectives that will be present there. Because here's what, you know, what's not going to happen is all the stuff that we read in Revelation that's going to happen, all of these tribulation events, it, there's not just going to be a, a, a switch flipped and it's all of a sudden going to, before that time comes, we're going to start seeing these systems implemented. And we're going to talk about that. Let's talk, first of all, about morality perspectives. Jesus said this in Matthew 24. You'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith 
and will betray and hate each other. Is that ringing a bell? Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Please get this. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most, I hate that word, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus said there'll be an increase in wickedness. My grandmother would say this world can't get any worse. And it got worse. There's been an increase in wickedness. And we're continuing to see an increase in wickedness. Second Timothy chapter 3 said it this way. I've already read it. I read this two weeks ago, but I, I want you to hear this. There'll be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. They'll be using their front-facing camera to take selfies and nothing else. Now listen, I take my share of selfies, but I turn that camera around from time to time. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. The morality culture of the end times will have degraded beyond what the world has ever known. So my question is, if you're 40, has the morality culture degraded in your lifetime? Yes. There's a recent survey that I read this week. It said that over one-third of regular churchgoers say casual sex is permissible. Our culture is currently at war with every biblical moral standard. Marriage? Is, is the institution of marriage under attack? The nuclear family? Gender identity? How many of these are all biblical principles? Life? Life is under attack. We all celebrated when Roe versus Wade was overturned, but how many have watched the news enough to know that that argument is more fervorous than it's ever been sexual purity work ethic religious freedom look look at what the bible says for this cause a man will leave his father and mother cling to his wife that institution is under attack god created them male and female that institution is under attack so so listen please listen Am, am I saying that folks that struggle with homosexuality and gender dysphoria are somehow connected to the Antichrist? Nope, that's not what I'm saying at all. Here's what I am saying. By, by the way, you, you've heard that, well, that's just how I was born. L listen, I was born with all kinds of issues. That's why we get born again. Amen. The problem is, y'all, there's a culture that celebrates a lifestyle, a system that's completely opposed to the one God created. It's not only celebrated, but culture demands that everybody celebrates it. That's what the world will look like. Can I just, can I just tell you, at our church, until they carry me out in a pine box, we will stand for the biblical standard for family, for identity, and for morality. I don't often quote Muslim sheiks, but I'm going to this morning. And I can't pronounce his name because it's about 94 letters. But he's the vice president, second prime minister of the United Arab Emirates, and he's the ruler of Dubai. This sheik said these words. Please listen to this and be alarmed by the words of a Muslim. He said, my grandfather rode a camel. My father rode, rode a camel. I ride a Mercedes. My son rides a Land Rover. My grandson is going to ride a Land Rover. But my great-grandson is going to ride a camel again. Why? Here's his reply. Hard times create strong men. Strong men create easy times. Easy times create weak men. Weak men create difficult times. Many will not understand it, but you have to raise warriors, not parasites. 
And add to that, listen to this, the historical reality that all great empires, the Persians, the Trojans, the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans, and in later years, the British, all rose and perished within 240 years. Somebody do the math and tell me how old the United States of America is. And he said they were not conquered by external enemies. They rotted from within. Can I tell you that we are rotting morally in our nation? Now, now some of you guys are in here and you're Generation Z and don't think I'm beating, up, I'm beating you up. I'm just giving you reality about what this generation says about morality. By a landslide margin, they believe that morals change over time. See, there's this absence of objective truth. They believe that morals are determined by our society. 34% of Generation Z believe this, that lying is morally wrong. 34%. That means 66% believe that it is not. So here's what you need to understand. If an entire generation believes that moral truth doesn't exist and that spiritual truth doesn't exist, complete moral decadence is on the horizon. A generation ago. Folks that didn't hold to moral standards were the outliers. Today, the percent of the population, the segment of the population that adheres to a moral standard are the ones who are considered abnormal and intolerant. How many times have you heard that word? The moral landscape of 2 Timothy chapter 3, that passage that we just read, is here right now, today, in November of 2022. So there's the moral perspective. Let's talk about financial systems. <laughs> let, let me give you a disclaimer. I, I could spend hours on this, and I, I'm choosing not to. You're welcome. <laughs> but, but listen to me. Please, I, I, know, I know some of you are very interested in this sort of stuff, and some of you could care less. Don't hide your head in the sand. Revelation 13, verse 16. Now, this is during, this passage I'm reading to you is during the tribulation period, okay? And he forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands. You've heard it known as the mark of the beast, okay? That happens during that tribulation period. On their right hands or on their foreheads, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. I remember hearing that story as a teenager going, I ain't taking no stinking mark. I remember going, I'm thinking that could never happen. Um, let's just have a little fun. Anybody seen this picture recently? No, now, I remember having a conversation with the lady at the local Walmart going, what is going on? Why, why can't we use, why can't we get cash back? Why, why? And, and it was always a supply chain issue. We just can't get any money here. So, and you know, here's, here's the interesting thing. Did that really slow anybody down? No. You know why? I never carried cash to begin with. And many of you didn't either. So you're like, oh, okay. Well, I'll just go to this other line. It's not that big a deal, right? It's not that big a deal. I, I, it, it hasn't slowed the wheels of commerce one bit. Forty years ago, less than a generation ago, it would have brought our system of commerce to its knees. I used to work at the Franklin Road Gulf Station uh, on Franklin Road in Marietta. And I hated when people came in with credit cards. Do you know why? Because I hated when people came in with credit cards because I had to take their credit card and I had to put it on this machine with this triplicate piece of paper. And they called it the knuckle buster. And go, and you had to take them, get it, sign it, and then the customer got one, and then we got one, and then the bank got one. Right? 
There are people in this room that have never seen that transaction take place. Right? See, I, we're, we're in a society now that's almost cashless. Right? I, it was weird. I went, we, we went out to dinner Friday night, and I paid cash for the first time. And I was like, this feels odd. So just, just hold that in your head for a minute as I talk to you about this Wisconsin company that installed, this is just a couple of years ago, these rice-sized microchips in their employees. Let me, let me read to you what they said, what the, what the CEO said. And listen to me. I'm not telling you that this company is the Antichrist. I'm not telling you they're attached to the Antichrist. I am telling you that there's a system available and in process today. He said, we foresee the use of RFID technology. That's the technology of the microchip to drive everything from making purchases in our office break room, opening doors, use the copy machines, logging into our office computers, unlocking phones, sharing business cards, storing medical and health information, and used as payment at other RFID terminals, the CEO said in a co company statement. Now listen. Eventually, this technology will become standardized, allowing you to use this as your passport, public transit, and all purchasing opportunities. There's a Swedish company that recently did this, recently, over the last couple of years, to 6,000 of their employees. Am I telling you that those companies are the Antichrist? Nope. But I'm telling you that the Antichrist ain't going to have to do a whole lot of work to install the system. It's already there. Um, I opened a new checking account um, a, a few months ago, and they sent me this debit card. If I can get it out of my wallet, I'll show it to you. And I bet you guys have got one that you've used this for uh, because, like, you know, we went from the knuckle buster to, the, to swipey. Right? Now you swipe. And then we went from the swipey to the insert, right? And now all you got to do is just pass this thing over the little blue part on the machine, and it's beep, and you're done. You put it back in your pocket, right? Right? That's cool, isn't it? Isn't that cool? So just, just listen to me. I'm not saying your credit card is the Antichrist. I'm not saying, hang on, Capital One, you're not the Antichrist. Don't take all my money. Won't take, won't take long. All right, so, so we've got this, this, this idea that there's going to come this system that's going to cause some mark to be in your right hand and your cash will fail. You with me so far? So how far away are we from this? Boop. About a quarter of an inch. Hear me well. I'm not telling you that these are the Antichrist, I'm telling you that the system is here. <laughs> Let me talk to you about cryptocurrency. Anybody own any cryptocurrency? Me either. I don't have any. I, I don't have any. Um, but um, cryptocurrency is kind of like, explaining cryptocurrency is kind of like explaining the Internet. People use it, but they have no idea what it is. Cryptocurrency is a encrypted digital currency, okay? And it's marketed because it's very safe and free from hackers, and it's marketed. But here's the, here's, investors use it. People that, that, that do commerce across the globe use it. And, but, but here's the thing that it, that, that's really not marketed a lot about it. It's like your, your dollar Anybody got a dollar? Anybody got 20 you want to bring me to? No, I'm just kidding. Your dollar is attached to a government, isn't it? The United States, right? If you've got euros or if you've got yen, you know, they're all attached to a government. The cryptocurrency is decentralized. It's not attached. It's outside of government control. So am I saying that cryptocurrency is the Antichrist? Nope, nope, nope. But in order for there to be a one-world currency, and that's what's coming, it makes sense that currency wouldn't be attached to a central government, doesn't it? I said all that to tell you that the Revelation 13 financial technology is here. Let's talk about information technology. 
Revelation, this is, please, please grab this. Revelation 11 talks about two witnesses in Jerusalem. And don't ask me who they are. There's people with much more advanced degrees than I have and who have much more active brain cells than I do have, have tried to determine who it is. Some say Moses and Elijah. Some, some people say Enoch. We don't know, and it doesn't, doesn't matter. But they're, gonna, they're going to, on the streets of Jerusalem, they're going to witness to the glory of God in a godless, pagan city at that time. And they're going to be untouchable until their witness is done, and then the Antichrist is going to kill them dead in the street. And they're going to lay there for three and a half days. And here's the part I want you to get. Some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. That wasn't possible just a few years ago. You say, well, television. Um, let's talk about television. Let's talk about television in my early generation. We had 2, 5, 11, 17, 46. And here's what would happen. If you happen to stay up past your bedtime, snuck back in the living room, watch TV while mom and dad were in bed, not that I would ever do that, but I've heard some of my friends did, here's what you get. Sometime around 12, maybe 1 o'clock, you'd hear the national anthem, and then you'd say, the programming for this station is now concluded. Y'all don't know nothing about white noise on TV. It was the thing. How many, if I told you something that you've never heard of, just raise your hand. Bunch of heathens. Now, I've got television available to me 24 hours a day. I've got 700 channels from Comcast. We got a Hulu and Netflix and Peacock and ESPN Plus. Come on, somebody. I'm, come on. All right. See? Right? But... It, that's still not enough to cover the, for every tribe, nation, and people. But let's just see what it would take to be able to see what's happening on the streets of Jerusalem right now. How long did that take? That is a live feed of the Western Wall on the Temple Mount in the streets of Jerusalem. And it took me about eight seconds. Mm -hmm. The technology is there. This was not available to you. I remember my grandmother saying, Jesus has come back any time. But you know what? This wasn't available in her generation. But it's here now. So what's the world will look like? Let's talk about religious systems. Let's throw that timeline back up there. You good? <laughs> so I told you last week, I gave you a little bit of teaser that, all right, see the vertical line in the middle of the, of the, the two vertical lines, the two big vertical lines? That's what's called the abomination of, de of desolation, and it happens at the midpoint of the tribulation period, and here's what most scholars believe it looks like. It believes that at the very beginning of the tribulation period that the Antichrist... Uh, negotiates a, a, a treaty between the Palestinians and the Israelis and allows them to rebuild a temple, okay? So that three and a half years later, he can desecrate it. He desecrates it with his own image. But that's difficult. Why is it difficult? Because there's not a temple. There's not a temple. So let's, let's little history lesson. Okay, put on your nerd hat for just a minute. A little history lesson. So the first temple was, if you read your Old Testament, was Solomon's temple, the temple Solomon built. That was the first temple. And it was destroyed by the Babylonians when the Jewish people were taken into exile. Destroyed. Remember us, uh, some time ago we did a, a study in Nehemiah when he was rebuilding the walls? That's when all that happened. All right? The second temple was rebuilt sometime later and then destroyed in 770 A.D. by the Romans, and from that time till now, it's been under Palestinian control. There is no temple. So that seems like that would be a difficult way. And I'm just going to throw you 
for, for, for you nerds in the room. So I just told you when the, the temple was destroyed, didn't I? 70 A.D. Most scholars believe this book was written in 95 A.D. It, the temple he was talking about was never the temple that stood at 70 A.D. It was already gone. He was talking about a third temple. All right? So today, the Temple Mount, throw that picture of the Temple Mount, is under, is under uh, Palestinian control. Now, what you see there, um, it, the, the long wall is the western wall. That's all that's left of the second temple. That's all that's left. There's some, some underground that I had a chance to tell you, about, tell you about, about when I told you about my trip to Israel. Did I tell you all I was going to Israel? Did I went to Israel? Did I tell you that? Did I tell you that? All right. Do you see the darker gold-covered structure? That's the Dome of the Rock. That's a, that's a Muslim shrine. And what, what would need to happen is there'd have to be a temple on that property. You with me? It's under Palestinian control. All they let them do is pray at that wall. Let me tell you this. 20 minutes outside of that city, there's a school for Levitical priests. And what they're doing is they have identified people from the Levitical line who would qualify to perform the priestly duties in a temple that doesn't exist. And today, they're having mock services Mock worship events, not to mock anyone, but to prepare for the time when the third temple is to be built. These, these ceremonies and services, they're, they're going through the motions, in other words, preparing for the time when the third temple is built. And let's say they could build it tomorrow. There'd be, there'd, there'd be a Jewish tradition that comes from the book of Numbers that would, that, that would kind of stand in their way. Y'all get this. See that? That altar in the temple has to be blessed with the ashes of a pure red heifer, cattle. And so even if they were able to build it, they couldn't, they couldn't use it until it got blessed with the ashes of a red heifer, a pure red heifer. And they haven't been able to find one until September of this year. Five red heifers were shipped from Texas. Come on. You know it had to come from, you know, Texas town. Texas to Israel. Five red heifers are there now ready to bless the temple. I mean, the, the, the heifers don't bless the temple. They're, you, the plans for the temple have been drawn. Listen, they've even cut the cornerstones. All that's delaying the construction of that third temple is permission from the government. And that's supposed to be the first thing the Antichrist does. They're ready. So the Antichrist will have a temple to desecrate. They're preparing for it today. Today. Is that heavy? Yeah. Let's talk about natural elements. So I watched this video, and it was from the Center for Seismology. And it was a time-lapse video of earthquakes that have taken place from the beginning of the 20th century till now. And I, and I started to play it for you, but it was like two minutes long, and I knew I'd lose you. But, but here's what, what you'd, you'd see a pop every time an earthquake. And so at the beginning of the 20th century, here's what you would see. And as the video went, you saw. And as the video went, until it was nothing but a solid stream, the earth is shaking the rocks are crying out. Mm 
Let me show you this one cool thing. Um, let me, Revelation 16 talks about, let me read it to you. It says, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and, it was, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Let me, let me just give you a little. The Bible says that there's going to be 200 million soldiers that cross the Euphrates River from, from the east. And, and, oh, by the way, depending on what scholar you listen to, there was only about 150 million people on the earth when John wrote that. So he saw 200 million soldiers crossing a dry Euphrates River. Now, that would not make sense in those days because it was a great, vast river. Show the, that first picture. The, the picture on the left is what the Euphrates looked like in 2006. Not, not very long ago. Three years after, that's what it looked like. It's drying up. Show the next picture. That's what it looks like today. We're watching the Bible reveal itself in our natural elements. So the world is ready. Let's talk about political systems. And I'm going to go a little bit fast now. Listen, there's only one, there's only, the only way one leader can rule the world is if there's one government. Agreed? So a one world government would have never happened in the World War II generation. Somebody would been picking up some arms, wouldn't they? Right? Somebody would be going to the Army Navy store so if they could buy a tank. So regardless of your political affiliation, listen, it's obvious that the ideas of patriotism and nationalism are at an all-time low in this nation. Would you agree with that? Okay. The only way, the only way a one-world government system can take over our nation is for its population to be convinced that our financial system is flawed. And that socialism is the only answer to our financial woes. You could never overthrow a democracy that was convinced that its form of government was effective and fair and just. We'd be dropping scud missiles on somebody. What if you convinced them of, that the system was flawed, that their election process was flawed? There has never in the history of our nation been a political climate like there is today. People used to love this country. Today, our culture detests the freedoms that this nation once stood upon proudly. Now, more than ever, is our world and even our nation ready for the things that are to come. Let's talk about crowd control. I got one more bad one, then I'll give you a real good one. You, you good with me so far? I'm going to give you one more bad one. Um, so, obviously, for the man of sin to be able to swoop in and take over, um, th there's got to be a certain element of crowd control. Is that right? Right? What, what might that look like? I got to give you a disclaimer. I'm not telling you that the vaccine was of the Antichrist. I'm not telling you that masks were, you know, the mask of the devil. I'm not telling you any of that. We're just talking about crowd control right now, okay? Last year, my wife and I wanted to go on a cruise. And we did. And it was glorious. In order to get on that ship, we had to do two things. We had to prove that we'd taken the vaccine, and we had to show evidence that we had taken a negative test, right? So how far apart are these two statements? Unless you do what the government says, you can't fly internationally or get on a cruise ship. W was that last year? How far apart is this statement? Unless you do what the government says, you can't buy medicine for your sick kid. 
Listen, and you, you guys, I, I am not a conspiracy theorist. I, I'm not. I, I, I don't believe that there's a conspiracy hiding behind every news story. I will tell you this. There are systems that are in place in our nation and across the world that would make it much easier for the Antichrist to control the crowd. Now, can I give you a good one? Because I wanted to leave you... I want, I want to leave this message with a shout. Because this happened to me this week. Jesus said these words. We're going to talk about global evangelism. Matthew 24, Jesus said these words. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. I, I need you to take your western north american blinders off because just because we're closing churches in america at i mean it every day i forget the number but it's it's every day that doesn't mean that's what it's like across the world i met a man this week his name is dion he's from south africa his name is dion i called him prime time some of y'all get that And I heard him tell of this organization that he's connected with in Australia. It's called the Church Planting in Institute. In the last just handful of years, listen to this, they have trained 135,000 church pastors. In the last five years, you're, you're not going to believe me? You, churchtraininginstitute.com, look for it for yourself.org. I'll give it to you. In the last five years, five years, 35,000 churches have been planted through this one organization. Now, they don't, all, they don't all look, they're not all cathedrals. Some of them look like tents, and some of them look like basements. 35,000 people. Here's what he told us. Listen to this. He said, we can't train pastors quickly enough to serve all the people in Africa that are getting saved. Listen, there's a cry growing out across this world that Jesus is coming. The world is getting evangelized. It's happening now. So what should we do? Sit back? Wait? Should we sit back and just, ooh, I'm saved, so I'm just going to wait on the trumpet sound so I can go be with Jesus? No. I'm going to give you two things to do. Have, I've tried really hard to paint you a, an image of what our culture will look like in those days. Have, have you seen it? Yeah. So, so write this down. Don't let the culture be more prepared than you are. If, if our culture, if our godless pagan culture can recognize that, that something's happening, here's what the body of Christ must do. We must prepare ourselves for the sound of the trumpet. We must prepare ourselves. We must prepare our... There should, if there's ever been a time... And listen, you know, nobody likes messages like this. If there's ever been a time for us to, to lean into holiness, to lean into righteousness, it's now. I want... when. When that trumpet sounds, I don't want nothing holding me back. I don't want no mud on my shoes. Come on, y'all. So here's what, here's what Dwayne's going to do, and here's the kind of services and the kind of messages you're going to hear. Let's, let's work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Yes. Not, not so we can be some legalistic, domineering organization, but so we can be a bride adorned for her husband. Isn't that what you want? Don't you want to? John was saying that I want to see. Uh, listen, I love y'all. I love my family. I love my kids. But I want to see Jesus. And I want to look at him eyeball to eyeball and thank him for his love and his grace and his mercy. I want to be ready to meet him. And oh, by the way, just so you know, I, I got to tell you this. I know it's time to go. I, I, don't, I don't get ready by my works. I get ready because Jesus shed his blood and it's been applied to my life. But, man, I want to look like him. I want my life to look like him. And the second thing is approach every day with a sense of urgency. Donna, come and play, please. 
And here's what I mean by that. If, if you're not ready, uh, I'm, I'm not trying to scare you. I, uh, y'all know that's not how I do things. I, I do want you to be aware. I do want you to be aware that, that this is happening. And I don't know how else to say it. There, there are a, a, a lot of people that could say it much more eloquently than I did. Just hear me now. It's happening, and it's happening now. And nothing else has to happen before that trumpet sounds. Nothing. 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 Dwayne, I don't believe you. doesn't matter. That's not going to stop it. I told you... I told you in week one, get right with God, get right with each other, live your purpose. Can that just be our mantra? Let's get right with God, let's get right with each other, and let's go about this life spreading the gospel of Christ, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's what he told us to do before he left. Shouldn't we be doing that when he shows back up? So pray with me, bow your heads. Jesus we are anticipating your soon return help us to be ready we want to be a bride prepared so I pray that if there's one that's in this room one that's watching that's not prepared Let me tell you what I mean by that, y'all. When I say prepared, if you're not confident that your sin debt has been paid for by the only Son of God whose name was Jesus and His work on the cross of Calvary, if you're not confident and sure, then you can be. And I want you to be. You say, Dwayne, I've been going to church all my life. That's, that's not the question. I give 10% of my income. That's not the question. The question is, do you know Jesus in the full pardon of your sin? And if you don't, oh, I want you to imagine the Son of God, His arms wide open, that's, that's what he's doing. So in, in just a moment, Donna's going to sing this chorus. If you don't know Jesus, I would challenge you to pray a prayer where you would ask him to forgive you of your sin. Where you would make a commitment to follow him for the rest of your life. And that you would repent. And that simply means that you turn away from your old life and you turn toward the life that Jesus has offered you. What's that look like? Well, you know what? You make that commitment and we'll help you with that. Or maybe you say, Dwayne, I'm saved. I know I am. My my next question might be, "Who, who are you helping? to get ready do you have somebody that you're leading and guiding and drawing toward the cross of Christ and if you aren't what are you waiting for so Don's going to sing and and we're going to pray and maybe you're going to pray a prayer that asks Christ to forgive you of your sins or maybe you're going to pray a prayer that, that God would empower you and wake you up enough to where you're about the business of the Great Commission before, uh, as we leave this building today. We don't have time to wait till tomorrow, y'all. So Donna, sing, and we'll pray together. Standing at the end of time There before your throne of grace Majesty before my eyes. Let
Stretch your hands toward heaven. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we receive your love and your mercy and your forgiveness, and we are challenged today to follow you like we've never followed you before, to follow you with the urgency of the hour. So God, forgive us of our sins. Wash us in your blood. Forgive us of those moments when we've said no to you, when we should have said yes. For those times when we've said yes to the world, when we should have said no. So God, I pray for those that are making new and renewed commitments, even now, to follow you, to follow your son Jesus. And God, I pray that each one of us would live our lives with such urgency, not to make more money, not to get another promotion, a newer car, a bigger house, but we would live with an urgency to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus to a lost and dying world who desperately did not need to know that he's alive and still changes lives. Help us to be about the business that you told us to be about when you left. Help us to be working for you when you return. Give us an urgency as a church to reach this community as we've never before. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Would you just offer the Lord an ovation of praise for His goodness? Yes, yes, yes. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for being here. Hey, next week, we're going to talk about heaven, and we're going to talk about hell. Don't get hot up in here. Love you all. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>